You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight we turn to the book of Hebrews for a final time in this course of studies. We've had all the greater and better things that were in Christ. And we looked at this outline one last time. Christ, greater than the angels, his place in comparison to humanity, of course, him being the greatest of all men, and God as well. Greater than God's faithful and great servant Moses, greater than those who served in the tabernacle and the temple as God's appointed priest the line of Aaron under Levi, greater in their ministry, his uh, greater in, the, in than their ministry, his a greater mediation, the greater sacrifice which he offered, which of course was of himself and his very own blood. And then we saw uh, the faithful, Jesus being the ultimate and most faithful one to whom we are to fix our eyes, those others being encouragements to us as well. We had along the way a number of exhortations, uh, logically flowing from the instructions and exhortations, arguments that were being made, the danger of neglect, the danger of not believing in God's word, the danger of immaturity and even of falling away, though the author said he was convinced of better things concerning them. An exhortation to have confidence in God's word and be faithful, to have that faithful life that leads to a life with God instead of a terrifying expectation of judgment. And then in the conclusion rhetorically of these things in the conclusion of the main line of exhortation of the book, accept God's discipline as faithful children. Don't miss out on his grace, but receive that wonderful thing which he has promised to us and serve him with reverence and awe in a kingdom that can't be shaken. With that, then we came to chapter 13, to the final items. Chapter 13, verse 12 had told us that uh, this book was a word of exhortation uh, to which they had heard and and that they had uh, listened. And uh, uh, he commended them in and to uh, that word of exhortation. And he told them to uh, meet the obligations of brotherliness, of brotherly love, of hospitality, as well as uh, keeping uh, purity and marriage, and uh, then exhorted them to a stability of faith in following Christ, even following Christ without the camp. And so with that as a a lead-in, we're going to read uh, beginning tonight in verse 12. As we go into the last part of final things, we're going to read in verse 12, and we'll take up our explanations of the text and our our study of it in verse 13. So in chapter 13, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking a city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge or give thanks uh, to his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. For you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. And so here we have the final, final exhortations. We were following Christ, as it had said in uh, verse 12. Uh, he went outside the, the gate, outside this camp, outside the city, uh, like the, the scapegoat that was sent away, like the bodies of the sin offerings that were taken and burned. So he went out and in that was shame. In that was reproach. We, it says, let us go to him outside uh, the, the camp bearing his reproach. It, it's a shameful thing what they did to Christ. Uh, they, they heaped on him shame. Of course, sh sin is a shameful thing from the beginning. Uh, the very first thing that Adam and Eve did after they recognized their sin was to hide in shame. He, in bearing the sins of the world, becoming, as it were, sin for us, treated as one guilty of sin. It was a shameful thing that happened to him, but he did that for us. It's for our glory. Uh, we sometimes, and many folks do, talk about uh, the week, the Passion Week, the uh, the commemorations and remembrances of the death of Christ. They talk about Good Friday, uh, the day that was good for us. Terrible for him at the time, it appeared, but the most glorious thing that ever happened. But it appeared at the time shameful. So go with him, go to another place, don't go, don't stay here, and don't be ashamed. And as it says in verse 15, where we begin freshly tonight, as we said, through him then, through Christ who went out, bearing reproach for us and treated shamefully on our behalf that we might have glory, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips, giving thanks to or acknowledging his name. And so through him then, through, in, and with Christ. As Paul told the Colossians, whatever they would do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. They do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and through him we give thanks to God. And so it's through Jesus, the one who brought us this opportunity and access 
is through him we offer up continually a sacrifice of praise. So the animal sacrifice system, that whole system of the Levitical way has constantly been referenced and compared here. And here's a a comparison that uh, uh, they brought, uh, the, the, the priest of that system did, they were continually bringing sacrifices to God. Well, we've got a one-time-for-all-time sacrifice when it comes to sin, and so there's no more sacrificial system. Well, no Christian has ever been asked to offer a sacrifice to God by the authority of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the sacrifice. But we've been asked to give sacrificially at times. Uh, we've been asked to, as Paul said, uh, present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice uh, in our sanctified conduct, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. So we've been asked to give of ourselves as sacrifice, to give of our means as sacrifice, to give now here uh, of our lips as sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. So that might be singing praise to God uh, in our hymns, by uh, which we uh, worship him. Uh, we sing and we make melody in our hearts as we sing our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to him for all things, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our lips in prayer and praise, in, in teaching and in all the things that we do, uh, this should reflect a sacrifice toward Christ, a sacrifice through Christ. And so here's the sacrifice that we are to live on a regular basis. We are, as Peter said, living stones being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And so here we are, a holy priesthood offering holy and acceptable sacrifices. And when we think about the Old Testament system, uh, the things that were holy or the things that were most holy, of course, it all centers first upon God. Uh, what is it in Isaiah in the book of Revelation? He is holy, 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 right? In heaven, and his throne, he is holy, holy, holy. Well, then on earth, uh, under the old system, what was the holiest place? Well, it was the holy of holies. So the three-time holy God, he had the double holy place, the holy of holies. And then what was the temple surrounding that? Well, it was a holy place. And so uh, there's a holiness and a progressing holiness based on proximity to God. The closer a thing is to God, the holier it is or should be. And so with us in Christ Jesus, how do we get are brought near to God? Well, through Jesus. If you're brought near to God, you need to be holy, right? How can the unholy be in the presence of a holy God? And so we come through Jesus, the Holy One of, of heaven who came to be with us, who remained holy, uh, though he walked this earth for decades. <laughs> so certainly a feat we haven't been able to pull off. How, who of us can walk for decades on earth uh, without soiling holiness, uh, without uh, profaning things? But he cleanses us, and he, he makes us holy by his sacrifice. And so let your life be a reflection of holiness, that it's ever closer to Christ. And the closer to Christ, the more holy it will be. And so we think of the mistake that some, uh, uh, they have these formal codes of holiness. 
Uh, they have these formal rules of conduct, and primarily it's a list of don'ts. Well, certainly we can do things that uh, would defile us. We can do things that are profane, but we don't just, in a negative way, don't ourselves into holiness. We don't just avoid things into holiness. We're drawn near to God through Jesus Christ, and that should be primarily reflected here first, it mentions, through our speech, which gives thanks to God. And so the closer we are to God through Jesus, the holier we'll be. And that is going to be reflected in our the fruit of our lips, in giving thanks. And then also in verse 16, but and not neglecting doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God's well pleased. So here's additional sacrifice. Aside from the sacrifice of the lips, the sacrifice of action, the sacrifice of good deeds, the sacrifice of charity, the sacrifice of love in action. And so do good and share. So do good, share, and have gracious things, things of God, and thankfulness on your lips. The person does that, how will they be known? Well, they'll be known as as a, as a follower. They'll be known as a disciple. Uh, these are the kind of people of whom we think the best. This often goes along with Bible knowledge, increasing knowledge of God. This often goes along with church attendance. This often goes along with other forms and uh, signs of devotion. But absent this thankful heart, this gracious lips of praise, doing good and helping people, knowledge of the Bible, church attendance, and other things of devotion will ring hollow. And so they would be hollow because they haven't actually brought us closer to Christ. And so in this living sacrifice that we're to be, in following Christ outside the gate, outside the camp, we've got to be like him. And certainly he was like this, giving thanks to God, the graciousness that fell from his lips, the doing good that he continually did, and the sharing even to the very place of dying for us all. And this was the sacrifice in Christ that God was well pleased. And so in us, as we imitate these things in the right way, so he'll be pleased with us. Next, we move on to an instruction about our leaders. In verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit. So, we think again about Jesus in submission to the Father, working the Father's will, uh, not his own. And so now we who are his followers, his disciples, we who are his sheep, as he is our shepherd, which of course is mentioned in this chapter, we obey the sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep listen to me. And so here we are listening to those that he has put in charge of us and the things of our souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, this is what we had back in uh, First Peter as well. Younger men, be subject to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility to one another. For God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so God's opposed to pride. He needs his sheep to be obedient sheep. He needs them to be followers. He needs them to be true disciples. And so here are those more experienced than us. Here are those who have the responsibility 
over us, and so we submit to them. It says they are responsible. They keep watch over your souls. So they've been given the job of watching. Now, in radically individualistic America, where every man thinks he's his own God and every man's his own political party and every man's his own economic system and every man's his own freeholder uh, who answers to nothing or nobody, uh, we don't like to think about having to submit well, okay, that guy does like his wife to submit, right? But he doesn't like to do so much himself. No, obey and submit to your leaders. Again, they've been given a place of responsibility. They keep watch for you. That's one of the things that we're terribly, especially as as a sheep, unqualified to do is uh, to keep watch for ourselves. It is extraordinary that a person's able to watch himself with no one else over him, with no accountability. Uh, we like to think we could do it. I'll just look after my own self. That's my lookout. You stay out of my way. But the one who can watch over himself, that is a person who's truly wise. That is the kind of people that we would like to be in charge, uh, the in charge of the teaching in the church, in charge of the oversight, somebody who can control himself. But that is a a sign and mark of true maturity and wisdom in God. We do think about Paul telling Timothy he was to keep watch for himself and his doctrine. And we think about the church, or excuse me, the elders in the church, that they were to keep watch for themselves and the flock. And so, yes, we are, to the best of our ability, to look out for ourselves. If we're not looking out for ourselves, nobody else can do that entirely for us. But as we look out for ourselves, we have helpers in this. We have those positioned over us. We have those positioned in responsibility. And so let them who have this charge do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Let them do it with joy, not grief. You know, oversight of the rebellious, oversight of the self-willed, is a tiresome and thankless task. I, I think that's one of the reasons why we have a trouble in our nation. We have a cultural issue. We have a national issue uh, with a teacher shortage. Because what adult in their right mind would want to go in there and lead 30 of those um, beings, we'll call them beings, lead 30 of those beings for an hour at a time and be responsible for all that they might go on and do? And it's just tiresome. And they, they're given that responsibility, and in many places they're not given adequate support. And uh, they're dealing with, though, with people who are not a joy to work with. There are people that, there are some people that when you have them in that kind of oversight and responsibility, the only joy that's involved is when they leave, right? Well, there are some people who are church members, like unruly schoolboys, they, they have the same attitude of they know what to do. They're going to see what they can get away with. They're just going to not cooperate with the program. They're going to see, uh, you know, what they can uh, do that satisfies them. They're playing their own little games, just like little kids, or even worse, big kids at school. So anytime you make it difficult for the ones who have a divine responsibility, that you may wear them out. Uh, you may cause them great grief. Now, if they're good at what they do, 
and they are conscientious about what they do before God, they may still be doing it. But when you have to oversee folks against the will of those that are overseen, it isn't profitable for anybody. And so it says, this would be unprofitable for you. And so don't wear out those who are, have responsibility over you. And so we think about the many different kinds of waywardness we find among those who are in different congregations of uh, believers. And it's the same type, although hopefully it's modified and regulated some uh, but uh, in Christ, but uh, it's the same things you see in the world. Because from where do we draw the believers? Drawn out from the world. They should be undergoing a transformation, a transformation down to the their very centermost part of their being, heart and soul, being brought into submission and confirmation to uh, conformity with God and his word. But even for those fully going along with the program, that process takes a while. And Christian growth and maturity is a thing that comes at uh, irregular growth rates and, and happens over a long period of time. Imagine if you have some who for a period, for a session of their life, and some of the people we know maybe for a long season, they're not going along with the program as they ought. Still, I think, love to the Father. Still, you know, part of the family, but not the most cooperative family members. So these elders are going to have to look for them, look after them. And they're going to be grieved by some of what happens. It's not going to be good for anybody. It's going to be unprofitable for all. And yet other people will put up with it and try to do their best with it for the sake of Christ. You cooperate with them is the message. Verse 18, pray for us. So we're going to submit to our leaders. And now for the author here and his compadres, his fellow workers, I think it's likely the Apostle Paul, but whoever the author is, evidently was known to these folks. For this author and those who were with him is the instruction like Paul would so often give, pray for us. Uh, like in Ephesians 6, at the end of the full armor of God section, with prayer and petition at all times, pray in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And here's the direct parallel, pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, so that I might proclaim this boldly and speak as I ought to speak. And so this author, again, I thank Paul, but whichever author, and the folks that were working with him, these brethren should make constant prayer for them. For we make sure we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So here's the desire. The desire and aim is to work with a good conscience and work honorably. Now, we understand, of course, that uh, honorable uh, attempts and a good conscious effort is not always exactly right. Those can be things that are mistaken. They can be misinformed. They can uh, kind of go sideways uh, because sometimes you know, you know, the goal is lost a little bit. The eye is taken off the ball. Uh, sometimes there's a lack of understanding of the true situation, and so the wrong thing is done or said. 
And so we're not guaranteed to do right just because we have a good conscience and just because we desire to be honorable. But, man, I sure hope everybody we deal with, especially some kind of leadership in the church, is working in good faith with a good conscience and is trying to be honorable. Because we know sometimes people who do that have that devotion, we know sometimes they fail some. But uh, we know people who don't act that way definitely fail. And we know with uh, people who aren't trying to do that, it's definitely going to go sideways. And there's going to be uh, some misuse of office, or there's going to be some hurt feelings, or there's going to be uh, some things undone that should be done. We know that it won't go well. And so this is the best we can do. The best I can do each day is like this, to keep a good conscience and to try and be honorable. I may not always live up to it, but if I'm not trying for that, I'm definitely not going to make it. So uh, we think about uh, Paul in Acts 23. He said to the, the council, the leaders of his nation, brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. I've always acted in a good conscience. Now, we know he was a persecutor for a while. I think he probably felt good about that at the time, too. But he thought that was right when he did it. And so, again, not an absolute guarantee, but an absolute necessity that we would uh, live in this way, keeping a good conscience toward God in all our conduct toward the brethren. So, verse 19, I urge you all the more to do this. That's the praying for us. Verse 19, I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. And so this author, again, like the Apostle Paul, because I think it is him, but this author, like the Apostle Paul, believed in the effectiveness of prayer. Jesus taught us of the effectiveness of prayer. Uh, James, uh, in his letter, uh, wrote about the effectiveness of prayer and that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so when it came to uh, this author being back with these people who he obviously knew, and wanted to be with again, well, uh, he said, let's pray about that, and y'all pray for me. So as we begin Bible study, and in Bible study, as we begin enduring and to finish our worship, what do we have? Well, we have prayer. We have prayer because we have this confidence, 1 John 5, 14, that we have this confidence, which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. All right, so we're going to live well with others. We're going to pray, especially for those who have responsibility and uh, such positions in the church. We're going to pray particularly for these fellows who are helping us out. And that would be our last set of exhortations. Now, the benediction. So the very closing things of the closing. And so we've Ask, uh, he has asked us, uh, the Hebrew writer did, or ask his audience, that they might uh, pray, give thanks to God with their, uh, with their lips. Well, here, here's some now. Now, verse 20. The God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's our benediction to the God of peace, the author of peace, the source of peace, the one who tells us that we should always be seeking peace, pursuing peace, the one who brought Jesus from the dead, declared him to be the Son of God with power, uh, Romans uh, 1 and 14. Uh, from Psalm 2 said, Today you're my son, I have begotten you. A passage quoted uh, regarding the resurrection, a passage also quoted uh, by God himself, basically, at the baptism and transfiguration of Christ, the God of peace, the one who brought up Jesus and attested that Jesus is my son, and Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Well, he's the good shepherd in John 10. He's the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 4, and here he is the good shepherd uh, or the uh, uh, shepherd of the great shepherd of the sheep. So the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, he, we are the sheep. We're the sheep of his people that through him, uh, that is, uh, it says, through the blood of the eternal covenant. And so that blood that we saw back in chapter 11 speaks better than the blood of Abel. That blood of chapter 10, which is able to take away sins when no other blood would do. That blood that in chapter 9 was taken to uh, the holy place and offered there in heaven for us. In this covenant that God has made with Jesus, which will not be replaced or supplanted or in any way uh, had a, a appendixes or codicils or exceptions made, this great eternal covenant that was made through the blood of Christ that one who raised him up and did all that for us, let him equip you, verse 21, in every good thing to do as well. And so look what he's done. Look what he's provided. Look what he's done so far. Now look to him for the equipping. Well, how does he equip us? Well, he provides for us. He provides for us instruction and training. We think about Second Peter, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 3 about the scriptures. It's uh, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate or perfect, equipped for every good work. He equips us by his word. He equips us with the provision of his spirit. He equips us uh, in the mindset uh, through that instruction that we are to have so that we can he can work in us what's pleasing, like Ephesians 2 with uh, we're going to work the good works that he lays out for us, that he has equipped us uh, for. We're going to do this, which is pleasing in his sight, because he's told us what's right. He's modeled what's right. He empowers us to do what's right through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we've already seen, we're to be growing closer to God through Jesus, so sanctification. Here we see part of that is a proper obedience that we are working what he has said to do. And so with this sanctification, this obedience that we're following, with the empowering of God, why? He'll help us to do as we need. And because he does this for us and through us, making us his instruments, to whom then be glory forever and ever. Amen. So glory to God forever 
and ever. And having then the benediction, we have some now closing remarks to the closing remarks. Verse 22. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. And so as we mentioned, uh, I, I take this Hebrew letter to be a single sermon, uh, the entire text of a sermon in verses 1 through 13, or excuse me, chapters 1 through 12, the 13th being, well, since I'm writing here some things, but this word of exhortation, take it. And he said, bear it. There's some things which he's written which have been pointed to them. As we saw some of these exhortations, don't neglect the great salvation, fellas. Don't fall away. Uh, it's a terrifying thing to fall into God's, the hands of the living God, but some are going to do that if they persist in what they're doing. So there was things here that would be hard to bear, but he says, bear it up. Receive it, as I've written to you briefly. One of the few personal notes, verse 23, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. Uh, King James says he's been set at liberty. Sure sounds like he's been in prison. The thing is, we don't know uh, of Timothy being in prison. Uh, all of the book of Acts and the personal things, which are quite extensive, and help us give a, a framework to the last years of Paul's life in First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, there isn't a mention of Timothy being in prison. Some think, well, Timothy hadn't just been released from jail, as we might naturally think, but Timothy had finished up some errand or job, some responsibility uh, that he was bound to, and he's, that's what he's been released from. But again, uh, we don't know what that would have been or might have been or where that uh, would be. But in whatever way Timothy was restrained and confined, it's over. And he, there's a good possibility he's coming to you. And the author says, and I will see you. Well, we certainly don't have room in the uh, biography of Paul for him to get to these Hebrew people again uh, after the time of his imprisonments and uh, doesn't fit anywhere in the chronology of Acts or what we know from his prison epistles after. And so some say, well, that means there's no way Paul could write this. I don't know if that's necessarily so. There was some intention Paul had of travels from time to time that are exp ex uh, expressly mentioned in Scripture that we don't think that he ever did, like, uh, for instance, going to Spain, mentioned in the book of Romans. And so not all Paul's travel plans uh, were accomplished uh, and this, I think, is probably one that did did not get accomplished. But in either case, uh, whoever this was who wrote the letter was uh, a friend and, and co-worker with Timothy. There's others as well mentioned here, but not by name. But there is a group, verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. So a common uh, thing in New Testament books to greet, although here it's uh, quite general. And it says those from Italy uh, greet you. So the Italians. So the Italians are sending greetings to the Hebrews. And the most natural explanation is, is well, the, Paul was with a lot of Italians, probably in Italy, and we know he was in Rome, and, and written from there, although there are other more fanciful explanations uh, of how it might be some other group of Italians in some other place. But in any case, uh, the Italian brethren send greetings to the Hebrew brethren. And then lastly, the common closing, grace be with you all. So with that, 
final uh, wish, final blessing, the exhortation of Hebrews and our 26 or 7 studies of it draws to a conclusion. With that then, uh, we'll be done thinking about as we go over in our minds just a one or two sentence summary of this great book that we studied. The superior position and great work of Jesus Christ, the need to be faithful to him, not neglecting the wonderful things that he's given, looking to him as the author and finisher of faith, remembering the faithful that have gone before, seeing how this was all uh, prophesied and supported by the Old Testament scriptures so that we have these encouraging words of the new. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.